So it's been a while, Abby. It has been a while. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Many, many reasons. Most of it's my fault. I don't think so. It is. Well, I mean, frankly, I just have less time and I've been doing all the editing and production. Yes. All of it. All of it, dear readers. I mean, listeners. (laughs) But um, I'm preparing for a trial and I just can't justify the time and also just general yes stuff yeah we have stuff but that's also we want to ask our wide and vast listenership if people want to help us produce this podcast specifically editing we would love love that help we need help because i can record it i can put the files up on the internet but the process of going through and cutting and pasting and making it sound good, which we're probably not going to do today because I won't have time. So we'll sound a little less professional than normal. But, oh, my gosh. But that process takes a lot of time. And if someone out there in the world who's specifically someone who's better at that than me, faster, wants to do that. Just different. We don't yeah. need to compare quality. <laughs> <laughs> but we should talk because we want to keep doing this, but we need to open we, up some we time. We need help. Yeah. Yeah. We need to devote our legal time to our legal time. Exactly. So... Anywho. That being said, uh, we wanted to both kind of have a conversation today about a topic that I think we both have feelings, feelings, thoughts, thoughts, experiences with, which is gun control. Yes, gun control. So, yeah. Tell us a little bit about where, you know. Should I tell you about myself? Tell us about yourself, Grinder. So I grew up in a very small rural town where guns definitely outnumbered people, but probably outnumbered people like five or ten to one. And um, and that's kind of no, like there's there's more guns than people, basically, or roughly the same number of guns as people in the U.S., but those guns are held, you know, by a very small number of people who have multiple guns. Yeah, I think, mo- I mean, everyone except my family had a gun in my block and my we don't call them blocks because they're all blocks, but on my street growing up. And a lot of people hunt. And like the first day of hunting season, everyone in my school was excited to go hunting. I was a vegetarian from my, when I was like 11. So I did not participate. But um, it was just like a gun place, you know, and people loved their guns and there was no crime. You know, everyone leaves their keys in their ignition of their car overnight and stuff. And no one would think of locking their doors. And it's just normal. I mean, guns were part of it. And I think that when I think about that, that's so hard to fathom for a lot of people I know now who grew up in the suburbs or in the city and, and like are just very emphatically for gun control. And yeah, I mean, and I, I think feel it's like... just tough because there's like a divide between rural people and suburban and urban people like about totally about their thinking about this yeah i think that's right like i i mean i've kind of grew up in both rural and urban environments so i've definitely spent time in places maybe not as many guns as where you come from no probably not but i spent time i lived up in the mountains in north carolina where people didn't lock their doors and lived in rural communities and people did have guns and there was hunting going on all the time um And, but I also have lived in the city, like in, you know, DC suburbs where 
there was definitely gun violence that happened in my kind of peer community. Like I knew several people got shot, um, you know, involved in drug trade or whatever. Yeah. And, but then I also lived in kind of North, another part of North Carolina where every, in very much a gun culture, but like where people were really into, you know, the guns for the sake of guns, right? It was definitely like the kind of thing that you see more now probably over the last 20 years, the, it was, it was maybe not as extensive as it is now, but like the kind of fetish gun, uh-huh. like, like the size of the gun, the ammo, the, you know, it's more like a hobby thing, right? Like it, it's, it's a combination of, I, I think that there's, there's an element of kind of political, like reactionary politics, but there's also just an element of hobbyist enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I was around when that, when the first Clinton gun ban went through uh-huh. which was really a, it was like it was it was one of those super cynical democratic politics things where they didn't really do anything to the core functioning of guns right like they 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 really targeted the they really pissed off all these hobbyist people uh-huh. right because they they like limited the number of accessories you could put on your gun uh-huh. <laughs> at any one time Seriously. really yes <laughs> So it, it was, oh it was, God. but like, you know, so it's like an we AR-15, so like the AR-15, right? This is like the, like, this is the primary hobbyist gun platform, uh-huh. right? And so, you know, it's a gun that that obviously kills lots of people, right? It's based on the military, like M-16, but it's instead of shoot, you know, instead of being fully automatic, it's semi-automatic, right? Uh-huh. So what that Clinton gun control ban did was... It said things like you couldn't have both a pistol grip and a bayonet on it at the same time. That would make it an assault rifle. Like that would make it illegal. But nothing prohibited you shooting the hell out of everyone with it at any time, right? Like uh-huh. it was all periphery to the core functioning of the gun, which is to shoot, shoot bullets, right? They limited magazines, right? They limited magazines to 10 rounds. But they didn't limit pre existing magazines. And mind you, like I said, the AR-15 is based on the M16, right? So I don't think mil- you said that before. I just I just said it five seconds ago. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> I, I zoned out, dear listener. Sorry. But the point is, they didn't limit pre-existing magazines, which have been produced by the military for the last thirty years. There's literally millions and millions of them. So what it did was it raised the, the price market price this. a yeah. little bit, uh-huh. but not that much. And and all the gun manufacturers knew that the thing was coming, so they. Ramped up production, and so even after the gun ban, you could still buy high capacity magazines for you know five ten dollars more than they were previously. So it's just like that. I feel like that legislation actually kind of was was part of sparking this like super hobbyist like uh, gun gun people gun culture. I mean. Obviously, that's the problem, right? Is that when you have prohibition, you have kind of an enhanced like fetishization of the product like under capitalism, right? So, you know, you you have all these like gin distilleries during prohibition and it's it becomes like kind of a luxury and super commodified instead of just alcohol. But at the same time, we have the real problem of this isn't alcohol, this is a gun. And we have this toxic culture we live in where people are violent and cruel and 
feeling hopeless, isolated, and worthless. And we have these guns. Well, and and I think also, like, with everything in America, there's a huge layer of racism and, and, and the... The the specter of racism in the gun world is just so it's so if, if it's not over the surface, it's right under the surface. I used to read these magazines like in high school, these uh-huh. gun magazines. Uh-huh. And Abby has done everything. And they were all they all started it was it was very much like it was like let penthouse letters, right? Uh-huh. Everyone starts with a with a story from a person, like a real person who who someone broke into their house and they used their gun to shoot them down and protect their family. And, and, you know, they never say it was two, you know, black men, but it's always right. Like, I don't, I don't read those magazines anymore, but this was in the nineties. It was just so clear to me, even as a teenager that it's like, this is, it was like porn for porn for white men for murdering black people. Yeah, it really was. And like, Mm -hmm. and that, that whole, like a sexualized racial murder. And that whole culture has expanded so much since then. I'm talking about the mid nineties, right? Yeah. And now, but but now it's such a big business. They make so much more money off it, you know? And so I'm going to just say this, but my parents are members of the NRA wine club. Yeah, exactly. That's but they've expanded so much, right? Like this, this identity, this yeah. identity thing, you know. Yeah. And and think about how much how much more Fox News and kind of right wing yeah. media has poisoned people's minds in the in since you know even yeah. since the nineties, right? Yes, and so, I mean it didn't exist. My parents were socialist Democrats in the mid nineties. Yeah, and so that's the power, right? Like, and so the guns are so caught up in everything else, but like. Coming back to this concept of gun control, I think maybe we're both on the same page in terms of the prohibition model, especially in the American context where there's literally more guns than people. Well, it's just it's really complicated, right? Like I first of all, um, I think we should talk about what what our American regime of gun control looks like. I think in any of these conversations, you have to talk about the prohibition against black people owning guns, black men owning guns because of how differently they're policed than white men and or white women or black women and how they're not allowed to have guns in this country because they're um, given felony convictions at young ages for things that white people do in equal numbers. So there's already a legal regime that's kind of prevents black people from legally owning guns. And that exists. So you have this kind of racialized gun ownership necessarily. Like that's what our police structure has done. We're having these national conversations about gun control in relation to mass murder, but we actually have a fully implemented massive gun control regimen going on in this country, you know, from the state level to the federal level. And it's you know, tied hand in hand with the war on drugs. But these are the same. There's a huge gun control element to that, right? Like, yes. So I think what Abby's trying to say is that we have this entire class of people who happen to coincide with the most discriminated against group of people who are not allowed to own a gun. And that is people, young black African-American men Um, The people who are kind of handed out felonies when they turn of age are prohibited by law from voting and carrying a firearm. It differs by state, but in a lot of states, yeah. Yeah, and federally they are. 
So federally, um, the statute, you're not allowed to have a firearm if you're a felon. So it's 922G. Do you ever see that? Do they use that? Yes, all the time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, people who have New York State felonies um, can be charged with possessing a firearm as a prohibited person is what it's called. And you're a prohibited person if you have a felony. Yeah, exactly. And that's why, a, you know, a 12-year-old with a gun is seen as a threat. And, like, uh, you know, a, a 12-year-old black kid with a gun is seen as a threat, whereas a white man with a gun you know, is seen as uh, some kind of symbol of, of freedom. Virtuous. Yeah. And, um, patriotism and family values. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough. Like in New Orleans, um, where I lived, there is a high percentage of people who own guns. I mean, guns are just everywhere there. And, um, you know, the same in Pine Plains, but like you see people with guns out and about New Orleans and their handguns and like everyone gets robbed there by gun and it is there are a lot of 12 year old black kids with guns um and it is scary actually because a 12 year old doesn't know right from wrong and they don't have any (laughs) impulse control so when they're robbing you it's horrible because they don't really know because they're just 12 it's very sad but anyway that's besides the point but I think that you know what do we do now? And I think that the Parkland kids who are like fighting for their own rights to feel safe and to have autonomy and to not have other children go through what they went through, you know, you have to stand with them and agree with them that something needs to be done. And I think that it's true that the thing that needs to be done is creating sensible gun control um, with background checks and stuff. And I also, I think it's wonderful that they're, fighting for themselves and I like that they're kind of fighting as a direct result of something that happened to them and I think that they've really mobilized people like that um senator that whatever some like state representative in Maine just dropped out of the race because of what he said about them did you see that no was was he calling them crisis actors or something no he was calling them like lesbians and um he was he's being really fucked up well i mean but that's that is i mean i mean i don't know if you saw wayne lapierre's speech to cpac uh-huh. But no. he basically said the anti-gun people are communist lesbians like, yeah. out to get us. Yeah. I mean, and, and that brings up kind of the, like the. Well, talking he was about, talking specifically about Emma Gonzalez. Is that her name? I don't know. Anyway, she's like the main spokesperson, and she seems really cool. But um, but this other person ran on the Democratic Party. There was nobody running against this Republican guy, and um, then someone just was like, "Oh, okay, I guess I'll run." Like some random person, and then the next day, like under pressure, this guy just dropped out. Wow, that's that's good. <laughs> But I mean, I think that that highlights another point that it's like the rate, like we talked a little bit about the racialized aspect of it that you can't escape. But there's also such, I mean, the fact that no one talks about the just pure gendered aspect of it, right? Of the, gun the, ownership? Yeah, of gun ownership. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, it. He's going to kill me. He's just okay. going to kill me. Okay. I'm never going to be allowed to record another podcast. No, but it's just like, does anyone ever question whether it's a man when there's a mass shooting? Like, it's it's no, it's not. of course not. I mean, it is all men. It's all white men. And it's like, I mean, there's a few non-white men, but really, it's Very the men, right? Few. And then, but it's all men, right? And and that's never questioned. Like the those those the fundamentals that, like, yes, we have an incredibly intense, like, violent gun control regime for black men in this country. All, one, but yeah. also, it's just like the it's never discussed, like. Maybe, you know, 
maybe, maybe men, men shouldn't have guns. <laughs> I mean, really, it's 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 insane, right? Maybe like, they're not capable of having guns. But so so with with that kind of as as the background, right? Like, what is there something we can do about this? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to. It seems obvious that you would have like get rid of these loopholes and like not have people be able to buy guns when they're mentally ill and. But it's it's also, I mean, I think that the NRA has actually contributed to people becoming mentally ill through their, like, deeply racist propaganda. Well, yeah, because, I mean, well, the, so the NRA has no, I mean, the NRA is a lobbying organization for arms manufacturers. Of course. Right? Of and course. so they actually, you know. Their goal is to get people paranoid yes. to purchase more guns. Yes. And mass shootings actually help that paranoia and increase sales, right? Because, yeah. one, the paranoia of gun control coming in yes. increases sales yes. because people worry that they won't be able to get the gun later. Right. But also that, you know, they also are proposing policy wise that people buy more guns to protect themselves and that right. fear of being attacked. So everything they win either way, when, right. you know, so they actually do want more shootings and whether mm -hmm. they admit it or not, it actually helps them. I mean, they're sort of starting to admit it, I think. Well, that, that's why I think the most valuable thing that these Parkland kids are doing is toxifying their name. Yeah, right? like, they are. And that's that's actually incredible. That's a political fight that is just impossible to do otherwise. And they're doing a very effective job of it. And that's really important because, you know, the NRA is seen as this this uh, it's a bastion of one of our amendments, you know. Yeah, but they're also seen as this untouchable lobbying organization. But but, you know, like so many things in the conventional wisdom of politics. Yeah. Like it's it's paper thin. Yeah, or it, yeah, it should be paper thin. If if like any of these people we elect to Congress had any sort of ethics or, you know, no, but anything, I mean, yeah, you know? I mean, no, but I mean in in reality, right? Like more and more people are can like can go against the NRA and still win, or yeah. and now their their name is being tarnished, right? So well, now they can go against the NRA and win because these Parkland kids demand. Well, that's that. helping, yeah. but it's it's been it's been trickling, mm -hmm. like you know. Um, well, because uh, they're actually crazy. Yes. I mean, it's not. They're really crazy. They're not just people. They're not at, like a consortium of hunters who want to be able to have rifles. That's not what they are. Yeah. And that's another myth I think that's worth dispelling in the gun control conversation is is that, you know, that's not what they're talking about anymore. That That is something. No, that they're was talking like, about like elephant shooting guns. And that stuff. was language that came. That whole concept uh, as the sportsman really came as as a reaction, you know, because the first gun control came in as a response to the Black Panthers, right? The first uh -huh. like real kind of modern gun control uh -huh. was a response to the Black Panthers. President Ronald, I mean, not, then Governor Ronald Reagan, um, you know, labeled them the number one enemy, and sure. and so so the the with their breakfast programs. Well, yeah, but they also carried guns, right, legally, yeah. and and so that like freaked out everyone. So they're like, well, we can't have this anymore, and so. So the NRA kind of that that they spawned a different that spawned like a different approach where they're like, well, we're hunters, like you know, really we're not the black people, exactly, right? And so, we're the, who are we if we're not the black people? Why we're the white people? But they've kind of abandoned that for this like citizen soldier thing, which is which is their new kind of model, yeah. Right?
Yeah, so, we're so, going to have to rise up against the liberals and kill them all. Exactly, right? So, <laughs> so we need grenades. I think a lot of the liberals are still saying, that's not for hunting. And the, the, the NRA's not even saying that anymore, really. They aren't. <laughs> no, they're not on that. They're like on, because they have the Supreme Court now. They have Heller. They have the individual right. So they don't need that anymore. Yeah. So that's like yesterday's argument. The uh-huh. argument today is is much more like, we have the fundamental right to protect ourselves. And then, you know, they want, they, that's we why- We are a militia. Yeah, yeah, and and they're like arm the teachers, right? Like they're all about a fully armed society for, I mean, secret, you know, for white people, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> that that's what they're about now, right? And, and and it's getting more and more explicit. Like the the contradiction is being heightened on gun control, yeah. and they're having to say what they really believe more and more. But right. but on my um, I was wanted to check out my hometowns, like the people from my hometown and their Facebook page, and like half of them were for arming the teachers. God, I should check it. I mean, like, it's just like such a nutty idea to think of these, like, you know, think think of your goofy teachers, like arming the idea of having them have to have a gun to shoot a student when he's coming for like their other students. But I hear that in school now, it's just really crazy. Like all the doors lock from the inside, and they have all these drills where there's like an armed shooter coming to. Like, get them. I mean, I guess, like, when I was little, I, I guess you just always, like, this is what it is to be American. You, like, always have to live in fear. So they have to have, like, stupid fear drills in, in the kids so that they'll get them to say the pledge more. Like, it's so sick. Like, when I was little, we were doing this weird thing where we'd have to, like, crawl under our desks because we were going to have a nuclear bomb. You had to do that? Yes. Oh, wow. See, I think that's what separates us generationally. I never had Oh, to we're separated generation. We're two years different. <laughs> Dear readers, <laughs> listeners, two years <laughs> separated generationally. No, I just but grew up in you a just rural... Jet X so hard. I have to. I grew up in like a rural idiot era, so I had to do Cold War drills. Sorry, we didn't all grow up in Tacoma Park. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't go to the Friends School. I didn't go to Friends School until eleventh grade. Okay, well, whatever. It seems like maybe you had a little precious upbringing with your no nuke drills. Well, I remember those nuclear sides on the on the on the school, but I don't think we ever had. But to it do really a nuke seemed drill. so crazy to crawl under your little wooden desk in case of a nuclear bomb. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, can somebody like what? I definitely lived in fear of nuclear war throughout my childhood, but I didn't like. There was no. I don't remember nuke drills. Oh well, sorry, you missed out. <laughs> Crawling under the desk, it was so even as like a five year old. I was like, I don't think this is like works because i also <laughs> once had to build a diorama of a nuclear power plant okay i mean think about that that's a really weird thing to have a kid do that is very strange anyway we're getting off topic but i do think part of it is like the desire to have our citizenry in fear of like everything so that we'll just buy everything at amazon well no i mean it's, it's true the fear thing i mean the idea that I don't know the statistics, but the idea that like Americans think that Al Qaeda or I guess ISIS is going to get them, like people believe that, right? Like, I know. So, so I know. I, I was in my like again tiny rural. Like, there's this like lovely little outdoor bar place in my tiny rural town, and this guy said to me, "He's like, don't worry if anyone comes in here and says Allah Akbar, I got my gun right here and I I can get him." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm really, thank you." Thank you for your concern for my physical safety. I feel so much better that you're like getting wasted with a gun and then you're going to drive home 
Yeah. No, I mean that's <laughs> like, I, and and that's uh, that's the reality. It's like everything in America, right? It's just and it's, it's like another so stupid. It's another ex- the guns are just another accelerant of the inherent like contradictions and 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 fears that are baked into the American pie, right? The yeah, like fear- death wish and like like yeah. suicide and well, like it's like we're country, misery that we live in. Well, cuz it's like we're a country that is built on like basically extermination right so yeah. like people came yeah. in and and that yeah. that fear is very deep right yeah. but then slavery is the other kind of cornerstone driver and yeah. and that you know there's no more fearful society than a slave society right no. because your slaves can kill you well yeah because, and they should and you know this because in that society right yeah the 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 ruling class even even in like non-racialized slave societies right the ruling class is in constant fear that that the majority is going to rise up against them yeah and they should well obviously and the the ruling class knows that they should and the ruling class knows that they would that's why i think that like uh, this is white people are sort of like so evil because they kind of can't imagine people of color not being similarly evil so like (laughs) in like you know, like they're just so vicious and evil and always bombing people first. And it's just like, it seems so hard to fathom that Al Qaeda is not going to come and get us because like, that's what we would do. Yeah, no, I think that that's, that's, that's interesting, right? That goes into the kind of the, you know, and, and that well, we would do it. And that whole that whole mindset gets turned it like gets turned into some kind of scientific thing through like game three or whatever like some some, yeah, some other yeah. genius white guy yeah. like, the smartest white guy like yeah they made a whole movie about him with russell crowe right like it's like he invented game theory to tell us that we need to <laughs> nuke the soviets first or whatever you know exactly exactly <laughs> it's like we would totally have destroyed the world trade center a long time ago <laughs> no I, that reminds there was a funny thing remember the the, um, we destroy everything. The Ground Zero mosque thing. I, I remember someone said, how many Ground Zeros have we created next to mosques? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, that's a good question. Um, but, but you know, look, I, I think that it's not, you know, again, it's. I think it's an American thing, especially, that makes it, it so difficult, right? Because there are, there are, like, countries, <laughs> right? Like, look, there are of- countries full of guns. Yeah. You know, like I mean, doesn't Switzerland I, I went, have more guns per capita than we do, or something? No, no, but Not they, Switzerland, but they but have some, close some they, place like they have that. Close. Well, I, I was I was looking up. I think the top countries of guns per capita. Two of them are well. One of them is Yemen, which I think is not. Not, not an ideal a very, not a model right now, but I mean, largely because of our policy yes, and our yes, closest allies' policies. Because we're committing genocide we, there right now. Yes, but um, the other one, Bosnia. Uh huh. Again. Um, oh no, 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 not Bosnia. Serbia. Uh-huh. Um, again, really not a model. Although yeah. they do have a lesbian prime minister now, well, okay. which is amazing. And They've come a very long way in a very short period of time. Yeah, I'm gonna say. And I, but it, it is a place where you're packing an AK, right? You know, that's what it seems. Like. I, I have a friend. I have a friend from there who's he's like his cousins are all like. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was are. there in 2003 or four, and it was crazy. But anyway. I mean, these have not. I, I think that like in terms of like, at least in terms of like economic wealth and and kind of industrialization models i mean the u.s is obviously such a mixed bag yeah but switzerland is a you know is a is a long-standing democratic like um rich country right. that has a lot of guns right right and they have a very you like know more than england a far more right because yeah, england and, has no guns right yeah i mean it's much it, but there it's much easier you know they have 
one, one they have this kind of tradition. What, what's interesting about Switzerland is that their gun ownership, their concept of gun ownership is very much based in not like much different than the U.S., right? A pro-government stance, right? Like they're in a very much, they have like a mandatory uh, public, you know, military service for, uh-huh. for men. And they also have, uh, they have their kind of gun culture comes out of that and comes out of being like a neutral small country surrounded by like countries that have had major world wars uh-huh. <laughs> fighting each other. Um, and so they have very much like yeah, a neutral. Con- yeah. I'm doing it in air quotes because that's nonsense. But go on. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess, sure. But, you know, neutral in in a yes. artificial yes. bipolarity. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. the point is they they have like a gun culture rooted in a form of patriotism that's very different vis-a-vis the government than ours, right? Right. So they're fully accepting of kind of the regulatory framework around the guns, right? right. The, and and obviously I think there is it's not a they had a referendum on like on kind of a gun debate a few years ago and it it went down. Like it didn't pass and it was to restrict gun ownership and it didn't pass, but it was like fifty six 44. So it's it's not like the Swiss have one opinion on this. But right. I do think that their gun culture is very different. It's rooted in a kind of sense of social responsibility, not like the American which is very rooted in outlet uh, culture. Yeah, kind of I guess. I don't know. I mean I mean I, I think like what you're saying it's rooted in in the sense of like being a victim of like internal forces that are the other. Yeah, I mean I do think it's rooted in like I'm trying to think of my hometown and I, you know, I'm not saying it's everything, but I think it is rooted in the idea that some person is going to come and rob your house or the Al-Qaeda is going to come and get Al-Qaeda you. Or Al-Qaeda is going to come and that person who's going to rob your house is going to be a person of color. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's it, from it's, the city. It, it, Cuz yeah. no one from the area is going to do it. Yeah, exactly, from the city, right? Yeah. So, but that is like an in, like an internal other, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, and so, but the you know, I think the Swiss one is very much like the Germans. Yeah, it's about like <laughs> God. Can I just say, like in this gun control, like I love the biathlon on the Olympics. <laughs> I mean, it's just the greatest event. It is the greatest event. I looked at how much those guns cost. They're really expensive. They're expensive. Yeah, yeah, but they're beautiful. I mean, man. I would just love to be one of those like lean shooting machines that can win a biathlon. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is, we're going off track on this one. I know. But it's funny. Sorry. No, it's, uh, um, don't tell me you don't like the biathlon. I like the biathlon. Who it's doesn't fun. like the biathlon? It's like you're crazy if you don't like it. They're like, it's like snowing. They're like breathing, shooting. Target's so far away. Yeah, but Canada has a lot of guns. I mean, I think there's something like really problematic about our guns and our social welfare state, you know, so that yeah. you know, we don't have like everyone's in crisis mode all of the time by design, right? Like everyone is worried about retirement or their job security or how they're going to raise their children or whether they're going to get health care. Like we're in a constant state of crisis as Americans. Like that's what our government and our capitalist overseers, I don't know what else to call them, like our advertisers want us to feel like. Yeah, because you know? it sells. It sells, you know, because it gets to that kind of primal. Yeah, thing. we're just in a state of fear, right? So that's we like, you know, have to we have to save for retirement. We have to give money to Vanguard. And like, you know, we're always worried. Or am I going to have enough? Will I be on the street? Am I? What am I going to do? How am I going to pay for college? How am I going to, you know, 
if I have fall ill, how will I pay for my deductible, which is $10,000. You know, it's just yeah. like we're in a constant state of crisis and we don't have any like, so everyone's like really heightened on red alert, right? Like anyway, like no one's yeah. just getting to like live a nice life here. But I think, and then and also th we, the institutions that we allow to solve our problems are primarily institutions of violence. Yeah. Right? And are yeah. like, so I want to read you something that just to, so this is, this is a, a quote from the first Garda commission of the, the Irish police. Uh -huh. The Garda. The Garda. I, I can't even pronounce the second word. I'm not going to try. Um, it means peace, the guardians of the peace. But the Garda will succeed not by force of arms or numbers, but on their moral authority as servants of the people. And that's why they're not armed, right? Yeah. Because they believe that the legitimacy as police are from their relationship with their, like, the policed, right? Police, the the yes. police is not even the concept, right? Right, but right, it's right. Like, it's the people. The people. So I just, you know, I think it's interesting that we, like, when we're opening up these ideas about gun control, that we also don't take it as a given that the police need to be the only people with guns or that they need to have guns at all. Yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, just to go back, like, to your guard eye discussion, I mean, they wear, like, fluorescent green vests. Like, they're not trying to sneak up on everyone. And their goal is not to arrest you. It's really to, like, help. Well, they're not, they don't see themselves as junior commandos. No, but, like, here in the city, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, they're all, like, the police are just awful. First of all, they're, like, hiding in every subway station in order to, like, not prevent crime. Like, if you, you're, there's a police officer standing there, like, maybe people are less likely to mug you in front of the police officer. But our police, like, hide hide literally hide in the station waiting to see if someone will like jump a turnstile well, they're waiting to catch children after school i mean yes, they, they wait yes, they wait yes. to catch children after school for for subway fares yes so my um my husband there was once this little old lady trying to swipe her card and her card wouldn't work in the subway and so my husband like pushed open the emergency door so and she was like oh thank you so much sir you know and he was new to the city so he didn't know like oh maybe i'll be arrested for helping a little lady he was like oh no problem and then the police like came out of nowhere and just like arrested both of them yeah and, and you know <laughs> but that's one of the <laughs> and, and he's like wait you were watching this little lady like not be able to get through the subway and she had a card and, that she was trying to use and she couldn't use it and you like didn't come out and try to help her like you don't see that as your job at all you're just like in hiding like you don't have like a thing that like you have no no sense of civic duty like not even the sense of civic duty that a random person has you but know i think the gun enhances that right the gun is really a big part of establishing that relationship yeah that right? they're not there for us they're there to potentially Hurt kill us. someone yes. right that's go i mean going back to the teachers thing that's why it's so absurd that we would say arm the teachers because like well your job is to teach students and also to kill them on occasion yes right yes, just, so but if like, they're having a nervous breakdown just but, shoot them in the head but that highlights the insanity of arming the police yes. right like or at least saying at the same time that they are there to help us yet we arm them in case they also need to kill us right so it, it, it but is we now like are, do we even say that they're there to help us like if you go and ask a cop directions what happens now well you know in in times square they'll they'll give you directions if you look look right yeah if you look right <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, on occasion they'll help you. I mean, I mean, you know, there is a few good cops, I'm sure. Yeah, but, but it's not. I don't know that it's like they get to have to write in their quotas, like how many people they give directions to every day. No, they don't have quotas on that, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> they don't have quotas on arrests either. No, to... <laughs> <laughs> they just have metrics, <laughs> not quotas, just metrics. Oh, God, the, 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 oh, God, 
but but yeah so going like you know that idea i think this is something we've talked about before but just that idea of what are the police i think the gun is such a central part of that and it's really we need to like interrogate that and yeah. and, and really think about that right and and obviously i i you know if we were to disarm the police tomorrow the ones who would quit would be the ones who should quit. You know what I mean? Because uh -huh, they uh -huh. would all quit, like almost, right? Yeah. Because they see yeah. their identity so much as being the enforcer of violence, right? Yeah, it's not about getting the cat out of the tree or like, you know, I mean, and also the fact that they would, they fear that they would all be like killed immediately if they didn't have guns. It's well, like, what does that mean for your role? I mean, are firemen worried about being killed immediately? No, like you've become an enemy of the people if that's what you're thinking is going to happen to you. You know, yeah, and that, like and firemen have to run into dangerous situations, and, and I'm sure that their people are having nervous breakdowns sometimes when firemen are there. You yeah, know, like yeah, absolutely, like my elevator is always breaking. I'm sure people get hysterical in the elevator, and the firemen have to come in and rescue them. You know, and like, so what is the difference here? Yeah, exactly. And well, they don't have guns, and their instinct is, Oops. and their instinct. Sorry, Abby. No, it's okay. No, but they don't have guns, right? Like they're very clearly. There, I mean, it's it's interesting that you say that because you know the police and 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 fire, and and the fire department are lumped together oftentimes, right? Because, because they're both these kind of male city employees. You know, they're yeah. the last they're the last job where you can have a high school education and get a lifelong pension. No, you know? I mean we have, that's not true. We have the MTA workers. We have the. Department of Sanitation, my favorite I, okay. department. Sure, in New York City, obviously, but I, I mean, just in mean, general, in yeah. general, like yeah. in the country, right? There are people. It's the last yeah. class of. It's one of the last classes of jobs where you can where you can do that, right? There's there's a whole kind of politics and, and interesting yes dynamic yes. there, but the the difference, you know, the difference be, between that like public service mentality versus the like public like enemy thing, like you know, you never hear the. <laughs> You yeah. know, like like the idea that the the police are so constantly scared of everyone that is is such a deep thing that that yeah. really should make us think twice about right what we what what they are what they're doing for our society like what their role is I mean no one's I mean I guess people are starting to talk about it a little bit but yeah I mean and and there you know obviously there's strains of politics that have talked about this for a long time but. It's only I, I think it's only hinting in kind of the mainstream discourse very recently, and even you don't hear much about the police stuff though. Honestly, and like you're not you going to don't you're not going to hear you know every every time they murder a you know kid because they were scared you know or whatever. It's always a one off, right? It's never yeah in the kind of mainstream. It's it's always a one off situation or the you know. I think it's interesting. I mean, also, it's like when we're talking about, okay, when we're talking about people with massive quantities of guns and a lot of gun, I'm going to say collector culture, gun enthusiast culture. I mean, that is a lot of police. Oh, yeah. Those groups are very... Yeah, the very fetishization. Very small Venn diagram. Yeah, I mean, the number of people who own, you know, the number of people who own multiple guns is very small, but they own a huge number of guns. Yeah. I definitely know some of those people. Yeah, me too. It, well, no, but it is interesting, right? Because it's just everything is just so everything's backwards and upside down. But it's like those same people who are like, we need to 
fight the government. That's what we need guns, right? Like they're masking kind of a fetish with the right, you know, like I really think deep down inside, it's like, you just like guns. They're kind of cool. And you have other insecurities that you're like placing into this. Yeah. But like the, the rhetoric you hear is this, uh, this anti-government thing. Yeah. But they're all just love the police, right? Yeah. And so that tells you kind of what... They love law enforcement until right now, I guess. No, I think the gun people probably still love law enforcement. No, they're right? against the FBI now. Very specifically, yes. But... Yes, very but, specifically. But the, 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 that, the whole thing where, the, you know, like the Oath Keeper types were, were like, when Obama was president, they were gonna, you know, yeah. they were gonna, yeah. they were gonna protect they were going to protect us all and then now that trump's president it's like they're like we're going to go fight gonna, for the president oh yeah we're going to fight drug dealers in chicago yeah. you know oh <laughs> like, god it's such a mess we're just like it's such a mess i don't know what the answers are i mean i'm i'm really really excited that all those kids walked out against their the wishes of their principals and stuff and i'm really glad that that's all happening and i don't want it to get co-opted by whatever silly suburban mom the that was mean the, of me the democratic machine the democratic kind of you know because it's like they'll be like oh yeah we're for gun control but like we still love pharmaceutical companies and charter schools you know be like this is how we're different than the republicans it's well, gun I mean, control anyone who would like laud that kind of clinton era gun control also where it's just cynical politics like and i, I don't know i always I, I always think part of the problem also is there's there's never like a material analysis and acknowledgement like there's never an analysis of like well we like how do we like we have a country with all these guns and all the people who have the guns are either in law enforcement or close with law enforcement and so right. what is the mechanism here to like de-gun our society right and yeah I, so i always i always have thought that a better approach would be kind of that switzerland approach where we like slowly bring in like actual regulation and like like why is it easier to get a gun than a car than a driver's license right like yeah. why why can't i mean first of all driver's license should be harder to get but yes <laughs> like in england oh my god the driving test is so different than it is in america but we've built the whole society around like you can't physically like Live exist without a car a so license. that's like another point but the point is like struck like slowly bringing in structures for licensing like regulating you know, it is actually one of the few times the word regulated is in the Constitution, is yes. in the Second Amendment, yes. right? So, like, actually bringing, like, like taking taking a sober approach to that and, like, slowly bringing in regulations and, and saying, you know, the more dead, basically, the more deadly the gun is, the harder it is and the more you're going to be, like, monitored for it, right? Like, yeah. like, in the same way that you can't drive a semi-truck without, a without like, license. a special license. And if you're an alcoholic or, like, whatever, right. then you can't do it, right? If there, and, and obviously, the biggest indicator is domestic violence. So that should be, like, Part a number, a you know, big, you know, and, and, and that, but that feeds into the, you know, we can't even do that, right? Because we don't, we don't do domestic violence right, no. right? Right? Because our domestic violence policy is also just given to the police. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, like terrible let, let the like demographic of people who are most likely to be domestic abusers, like figure out that problem. You know, I mean, can you really close your eyes and picture the person least good at defusing a, a, an argument and it is a police officer? Like they just do not... They're not taught to have these social soft skills and bedside manners to handle this kind of stuff. 
They're not those people. There's other people who do do that. Like there's social workers, there's psychologists, like there's people who are trained to kind of defuse situations. And or the guarding. Or the guarding. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. So yeah. it's, it's like we, we, we have to. Yeah, exactly. Like, What are these people doing? But like, how do we kind of change? Because they have all the money in every city, in every state. They have all Law the money. They have all the budgets. Right. Yeah. So that's that's where I hope this goes. You know, that's where, you know. That's what did you see? Have you read anything about what's going on with Larry Krasner in Philadelphia? Well, I heard about it on. On here, on Against the Law. Okay, well, I'm going to give you a quick update on our Philadelphia DA situation. So he put out a memo saying that whenever, um, basically, they're not allowed to ask for jail time for a lot of felonies. uh, I mean, a lot of crimes and the line DAs. And if they do want to go higher than the guidelines that he has established, they have to get his personal permission to ask for a higher sentence. But whenever they ask for any kind of incarceratory sentence... They have to tell the court how much money it's going to cost. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they have to be like, okay, if, if there's a murder and they're asking for 20 years or whatever, they have to tell the court in their sentencing request that it's going to cost $1.2 million to incarcerate this person for 20 years. That's so, I mean, that's... Just a little bit, just a little something, like putting some kind of limits or discussion about what we are wasting, wasting our future, our lives, our children's education, our environment. What we are wasting it on is prison. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that that seems like a small thing, but it's so big because it's not, you know... It never, their budget never gets in the discussion. It's such a good poison pill for our system because we have, I mean, at a meta level the metricization like the 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 measurement is so inherent like the way we measure is so inherently biased and has yeah. so many political ramifications like we, we keep talking about how the post office isn't profitable <laughs> it's like you know what's not profitable the prison industrial complex but you know the, the the like the politics of that process are so deep like that that at the meta level it's really important to understand that but at the like practical politics level doing things like that are so important because it's making the system work against itself yeah right? yeah and that's something you don't see like no. you know we'll be in court all the time with spending you know it, 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 you look around and it's like millions of dollars being spent Ugh. and it's like no one thinks about wh- like what are we doing to why I, just keep, I keep i say it all the time to the prosecutors frankly but like <laughs> it, it is just astounding i'll be in court and i'll have like a client client who is like from such a marginalized family in a marginalized neighborhood and just has had nothing all his life like no health care no mental health care no education like every institution that you would think we would have has failed this person and he's just been given nothing and then all of a sudden he's in federal court and there's like two ivy league law clerks an ivy league judge and ivy league pro- two ivy league prosecutors me an ivy league defense attorney and we're spending like all of this money on him and if we could spend it that money instead of on me and the prosecutor and the court and the court staff and it's just like it's it's crazy on his kids and give them a good education give them tutors and give them mental health treatment it would just be such a better use of our time what about giving him like trauma treatment for what he's witnessed like people have witnessed their brothers being shot and gotten no mental health treatment like 
you know, their dad, they died of a heroin overdose in their hands. No, no, no counselor has ever spoken to them about it. You well, know? And, and you can't call 911 and get anyone to show up and do something about that crisis, no, right? Like, no. That's, you know, you can't no. call. There's no place you can call. But for some reason, the sacrosanct thing that you can do is have a have a jabroni with a gun show up and do what? Like, they're not going to solve that problem, right? No. And that's a real problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trauma, PTSD, you know? Yeah. You know, and people who are smart, but were never taught like really basic education stuff who have potential and promise and could be contributing to our society, but also could be just also, living we're in just it. just people. Like people don't, you don't have, you yeah. know, you should be able to live. Yeah. You should be able to live. You should be able to live. Hi, this is against the law. You should be able to live. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> More people living peacefully on islands, fewer nuclear bombs. Yes, all those things. <laughs> I, 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 I 100% support all those things. I think that's that's what we stand for. Against we stand the law. for that. We are against We're the law. We're for people being able four to live. For people living. <laughs> so I think that was good. Yeah, thank you. That was our show, I guess. All right, I think that was our show, I think guys. we can do this more often if we can just do this. Yes, but seriously, people, if, if there's someone out there who wants to help editing, like, yeah. we can even throw you a couple bucks. We could even throw you a couple bucks. So, holler. Yeah. And we uh, missed you. Yeah, we, we missed, missed us. We missed doing it. And... Abby Hassan at Twitter. I don't even check it because it's depressing, but... Twitter is depressing. You should all get off Twitter. But you can you can actually email at us, info at against the law. Yeah, just email dot us. Info. You like that? Ooh, Double or info. dot info. I didn't even know. We actually have a little website and everything, so... We do? Yeah, sort of. Ooh, we're so fancy. So. So very fancy. So thanks, everyone. Thanks for sticking with me. If you're still there, you're the best. Yeah, we love you. Bye. Bye.